Take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 14 through 40 this morning. Now, we're not going to look in depth like I usually do, at least not this week, uh, at uh, Acts, 14, Acts 2, 14 through 40. Uh, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take the 35,000 foot view of Peter's sermon at Pentecost. We're going to look at the whole thing, but from a distance. And we're going to get eight uh, encouragements, eight, uh, we don't want to too much call it a checklist because it's not, but eight uh, aspects we can think of when we have the opportunity to engage someone with the gospel. Uh, eight uh, uh, bullet points we want to consider using when we have that opportunity. Some of them not as necessary in some situations as others, and we'll kind of talk about that as we go. But what we see here is, is uh, a few things. Uh, well, and let me also say this. I want to tell you, we will then break down Peter's sermon over the next three weeks after this. Uh, we'll, we'll look more in-depth, 14 uh, through 21, 22 through 36, and then uh, 37 through 41. We'll break that down in that, those segments over three Sundays, kind of the, uh, the introduction to his sermon, the body of his sermon, and uh, his invitation. We, we will break that down over the next three weeks. The other thing we want to remember, I just want to remind you before we get into this, is this was a sermon, this was an evangelistic sermon, and he didn't use a bit of the New Testament when he preached it. Uh, that should be obvious to us. The New Testament didn't exist yet. None of the letters existed yet. None of the New Testament. They hadn't written any of the Gospels, nothing. Peter completely used Old Testament passages to preach about Jesus. Uh, now, it was contextual. He was preaching to Jews. That made it very helpful that he would do that. We're going to talk about that, too, in a few minutes. Uh, context of our opportunities to share the gospel. But that's just something to remember as we go into this, that, that you can preach Jesus, you can share the gospel from the Old Testament. We tend to do it from the New Testament, even I do at the end of the message. I, I use Romans to present the gospel, but we can do it from the Old Testament too. Just a lot of things we can pick up here. I want to get that, uh, just kind of pepper the beginning of the message with a few of those. We've seen a couple of things here uh, leading up to this sermon. In Acts 1, 12 through 26, we saw that the disciples were prepared. And I put in parentheses there, we are prepared. At this point in the narrative, as Peter gets up to preach, as he represents the 12 disciples uh, as the spokesperson, as the, the chief preacher at the time, they were prepared. Uh, they had spent time in their prayer meeting, they had prayed, they uh, had come together, they had talked about what had gone on, they had, had geared each other up, had a, a, a pep rally. I'm telling you today that if you are saved, you're prepared. That, that's really the only requirement. If you are saved, you are prepared to share the gospel. I don't know if I, I shared this story on a Sunday morning or some other time. So uh, if I shared it on Sunday morning, eh, forgive me, you get to hear it again. When we were at the convention, we heard one of the preachers from Chicago, John Cho. Honey, do you remember, did I say, say this on the morning or in the evening? I don't remember. Anyway, I want to tell it anyway because it's a good story. 
uh, John Cho was the preacher from Chicago, and he is uh, Korean-American, and, and he was starting not a, a Korean church, uh, just starting a church in Chicago, but a, a Korean ophthalmologist came, uh, brought his wife to church, um, because she had been a Christian but had gotten out of church, didn't like him anymore. He was a full-on Buddhist, and, but was just trying to find something for her. So they said, well, let's try this one. Maybe she'll like it, but uh, it, it'll heal some of the wounds of her past. He got to church. It was actually their, uh, their kickoff uh, uh, service. And church plants, often what you'll do is you'll have monthly services for about six months, and then you'll launch. You'll have your first weekly service. And that's what this was. And a uh, bunch of folks came. Well, this gentleman, uh, John Cho, the pastor, preached on, uh, just preached the gospel. And, and uh, at the end of it, shared clearly and this gentleman, this Korean ophthalmologist, accepted Christ. Completely from Buddhism to, to, to Christianity like that, literally. I, it, just, it was clear to him, what I've been living is a lie. This is the truth. The next evening, they had a meeting. This gentleman showed up. The doctor showed up. And the meeting was to talk about uh, Bible studies and other, things that they were, other ministry opportunities. And one of the things that they were going to do was they were going to have a Korean language Bible study uh, at one of the, the colleges there in Chicago. And, and this gentleman said, can I be a part of that? I, I, I have some friends that I've already invited to church. I've already shared the gospel with them. I, can, I, can we host that? Can we be a part? The guy had not been a Christian for 24 hours yet, and he was already looking for opportunities to disciple. If you're saved, you're prepared to share the gospel. Uh, you only have to know how you were saved to share with someone else how they can be saved. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need all the commentaries in your library. You don't need a, 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 an extreme depth of biblical knowledge. In order to share the gospel with someone, in order to tell someone how they can be saved, all you have to do is tell them how you were saved. And if you are saved, you have a testimony. If you can't figure out how you were saved, please talk to me at the end of the service. Because if you don't know how you were saved, I'm putting money on your knot. I'll, I'll be pretty blunt about that. I'm not even to the... To the hold on. Let, that's the invitation. We'll get there in a second. All right. The disciples were prepared. The other thing that we see in uh, Acts 2, 1 through 13 is the disciples had been filled. The Spirit had come. Uh, we have been filled, the same Holy Spirit that came on that day and filled those believers, those 120 or so in, in the upper room, is the same Holy Spirit that, that fills us today. And we receive that Holy Spirit at the moment of sal salvation. In Acts, it, it comes at different times, in different situations. But by the end of Acts, it had been, quote, systematized. When you accepted Christ, you received the Holy Spirit. All of you. If you're a believer, you've got the Holy Spirit. And he's not watered down. He's not weaker than he was. Jesus said to the disciples and to us, you will do things greater than I have done because of the Holy Spirit in you. That's a pretty impressive promise. And so we have that Holy Spirit. So we've been prepared. We've been filled. Now what? Well, now we are ready for action. And that's what the disciples were. That's what Peter was. He was ready for action. 
And they knew something was happening. Folks were not saved and were not filled in order to sit on the sidelines. I'm going to go back to my football analogy. If, if, if we put you through training, if you go to, to, to two-a-days and, and you go to spring camp and you, uh, we, we get you the, the pads and the helmet and the jersey and the cleats and the mouthpiece and we, we gear you up, you are in every way prepared. We are not preparing you to sit on the sidelines. God does not send His Holy Spirit to believers so that we can say, thank you, feels good, I appreciate it. But we are prepared, we are empowered, we are set, ready to work, ready for action. God defines the action, though. And that's what we see here in this passage. For Peter, it was a sermon. That was the action. That was what God had for him. First thing, right off the bat, Peter was a preacher. Uh, we could talk about spiritual giftings and say, no doubt, Peter was a gifted preacher. We have no sermon up to this point. We have plenty of examples of Peter running off at the mouth. Uh, that's a very preacherly thing to do sometimes, uh, sometimes often without thinking. But we have now an understanding of those talents, those, uh, those abilities that Peter had God taking them and forming them and using them for his glory. That was Peter's job. That was his action. For most of you, it won't be a sermon. I'm not saying it absolutely won't be, but I'm just in general, most of y'all will not have the opportunity to preach a sermon to untold thousands on some random holiday. But it may be a conversation. As a matter of fact, for most of you, it probably will be a conversation. Maybe a simple conversation. Maybe one that starts up with somebody you've never met because you, you just had something in common as you waited for them to open up a table at uh, uh, Joe's. That, that's the Italian place, right? Where you have to wait 12 hours on a Sunday afternoon to eat lunch. Yeah, it may be something as simple as that. It may be uh, a, a, a plane ride or something, but it's... That's how it's going to be. But when God prepares you, uh, when you are filled, and when the action presents itself, when the opportunity presents itself, it is always, it is always about sharing the gospel. It always includes sharing the gospel. And sharing the gospel, folks, is not, I'd love to see you at church. That wasn't the gospel. That was a nice invitation, and we'd love to see him at church, but that wasn't the gospel. The gospel, as we see here, as Peter outlines and, and, and develops what becomes the early church and, and, and late church, gospel message is Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected for our sins. I mean, that, that's, that's the gospel message. So that is what we must share how did Peter do it? How did we do it in this sermon? Y'all, depending on the week, I'll spend 10 to 20 hours working on Sunday morning sermon. I mean, that's, that's reading, that's, that's, uh, that, that's praying, that's, that's preparation, that's typing up, that's editing, that's going over and adding things. 10 to 20 hours usually toward the 20-hour mark, just for Sunday morning sermon. Peter didn't do any of that. 
and I'm a little jealous. He had no prep, y'all. None at all. We're going, we're, we're going to talk about that too. I, I'm, I'm kind of telling you the sermon before I preach the sermon. How did he do it? Well, well, we'll get there, but understand that this is a guide for us, but not necessarily a prescription. Some of these eight points may not always work in whatever situation or whatever conversation you find yourself in. So take them, write them down. I, I highly encourage note-taking, uh, doodling even if, if that helps you listen. But then use them as you need to. First thing we see Peter do uh, is he refutes the skeptics. That's the first thing he does. Verses 14 and 15. We're going to read it as we go instead of reading the whole passage at once. 14 and 15. But Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to, them, proclaimed to them, Jewish men and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. Now remember back to verse 13. The people said, because they were hearing these languages and seeing uh, something they didn't quite understand. Like, these people are drunk. And if you remember, way back to May 28th, the last time I preached from this series, we ended with one of the uh, things we can expect, one of the circumstances we can expect when the Spirit moves, when, when God is doing something that the enemy is going to detract from it and say, well, it's not really what, it, it's, y'all don't, it's, 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 they're drunk. It's this, it's that, it's something else. Don't believe it. Well, Peter's first thing this morning is he refutes the, the, the skeptics. And it was morning at the time, about 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning when this happened. But when he refutes the skeptics, notice one of the first things he does is he, he makes it quick. He doesn't spend a lot of time on what they were, what they were accusing of. He's like, yeah, no, 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 y'all, we're not drunk. And then he's going to go into explaining why they weren't drunk or how, uh, how it would look like they were drunk, but it's, it's something much greater than that. See, we don't want to get bogged down in arguments. I, I am in some private groups on Facebook that talk about various theological issues, and it is easy, so easy, to get bogged down in an argument, especially when it's tight. But you and I both know that it, it can happen very easily also in a conversation where we chase a rabbit. Oh, I, I, I've got this thing I want to say, but you brought up this. Well, that's a good point. Let's discuss this for the next six hours. And, oh, I never got around to telling you what I needed to tell you. Don't get bogged down in that. That is going to be a tactic of the enemy. Change the topic. Change the discussion. Introduce something else. Don't let him get to the part that could convict you. Don't let him get to the powerful part. Now, the, the situation is going to determine the length of the discussion, uh, the number of the discussions. It, it, this might be a conversation that goes on for days with somebody because you're friends with them, and you, it gets brought up, and they have a question, or, or you talk about something that happened in church, and, and they, you know, so this, this conversation happens, and it happens the next time you see them, and it's this one thread of a conversation. Now, Peter didn't have that opportunity. Peter had to, to move on. So I'm telling you, you might have to address some things as the conversation unfolds. But let me also tell you that the gospel should make an appearance every time. You know you're going to have 5, 10, 15 minutes with this person. Jesus needs to be in that conversation in those 5, 10, 15 minutes. 
you know that this is a friend of yours, you're all going to pick this back up after this hour conversation. Jesus still needs to be in that hour conversation and then needs to be brought up again at the next one. That needs to keep coming back to him. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then finally, y'all keep it light. Humor actually helps. We don't see it, and, and, and uh, we, we heard in uh, Sunday school this morning, there is actually sarcasm in the Bible. Uh, there are jokes in the Bible. The problem is, if you're on Facebook, you understand how hard it is often to understand written humor. I mean, it, it, they almost they have to put LOL right at the end of it for you to go, oh, they're joking. Laugh out loud if you're not up on the lingo. Uh, you, you, okay, now, I get, yeah, it's a joke. Haha, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, they didn't type LOL when they wrote the Bible, unfortunately. This is Peter making a joke. What he's saying here is, y'all, guys, 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 they're not drunk. I'm going to paraphrase here. They're not drunk. It's, it's 9 o'clock. We get drunk much later than this. I mean, that's, that's basically what he's saying. That, that was the humor of it. He disarms them immediately. A laugh always disarms people. It makes you immediately... Uh, relatable. So that's what he did. Now, if you're bad at telling jokes like I am, don't try that. No, don't too much. But, but it always helps. So number one, refute the skeptics. Number two, go to Scripture. That's going to be your source. That's where you need to go every time. That's what Peter does. He, uh, Acts 2, 16 through 21, he immediately goes to Scripture. And in this case, he goes to the book of Joel. He says, on the contrary... This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I'll even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The discussion always has to come back to what God says. And, and what he's doing is, he's, he, Peter is uh, doing two different uh, 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 things. I'm trying to think of a better word than thing, and I can't. Uh, two, two different uh, rhetorical devices. He is both answering the critic... Y'all, this is what Scripture said would happen, but he's also preparing them for the next thing that he's going to say. This is a rhetorical dream, what Peter did here, off the cuff. It always comes back to God, uh, what God says. You may have to give a rational defense for Scripture. How am I going to do that, Michael? We'll talk about that in a minute. But always, always, I don't know is an acceptable answer. It's not a fun answer, especially when somebody asks you on Sunday night during the Bible study here in the sanctuary, I mean, in a church somewhere, uh, maybe in here. Um, hey, Michael, I have a question, and I, I mean, Michael, I, I mean, Pastor, somebody, I have a question, and you have to say, I don't know. I'm supposed to have all the answers, right? You think you're supposed to have all the answers to tell somebody about Jesus. You don't. I don't know is an acceptable answer. Because the power is, is uh, not in reason or, or history or archaeological proofs. Those aren't the gospel. The power is in the gospel. 
The power is in the, the spreading, the sharing of the gospel message. I don't understand how that works. But Paul said, I'm not ashamed. I'm not worried. I'm not concerned that I'm going to be put to shame. I'm not worried that it's not going to come back uh, powerfully because uh, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Was Paul the power of God to salvation? Nope. Was Peter the power of God to salvation? Nope. Was archaeology or reason or history or the best arguments you can put together, are those the power of God for salvation? Nope. What is the gospel? The message of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and Him crucified for your sins. That is the power of God for sharing uh, for the gospel. That's it. That's all you need. Doesn't mean you shouldn't do some studying and some reading. But that's all you need. Number three, Peter brings it back to Jesus. He refutes the skeptics. He goes to Scripture to do both things, refute the skeptic, and then get to Jesus. And we see it in Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Who brought up Jesus? The people? They didn't ask about Jesus. As far as we know, Jesus wasn't on their mind at all. They're all milling around. They suddenly see these 120 folks that are clearly uneducated because they're from that part of the country, you know, the uneducated folks. They don't, they don't know all these languages, yet here they are speaking these languages. They're looking a little, they're sounding a little funny. They, they seem a little giddy. Uh, we might call it drunk. What's wrong with these people? What's wrong with y'all drunk? And Peter says, no, 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 we're not drunk. You know, your, 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 your Bible, the scriptures that, that you read that you're actually here to celebrate at, at this feast, at this festival, they actually tell about what we're going through right now. See, Joel said these things are going to happen. Have, I, have we mentioned Jesus yet at all? No. But Peter knew, i got to get this conversation back to Jesus because that is what matters. So Scripture says it, y'all. It says these things are going to happen in that, that great and glorious day of the Lord and all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You, you know that Scripture, right? Well, let me tell you who the Lord is. This Jesus the Nazarene. See how he just segued into that? See, we always have to get back to Jesus because the ultimate goal is to share Jesus. And, and here we go again. You might have to give proofs. How do I know Jesus really exists? Jesus didn't really exist. Well, there's more evidence for the existence of Jesus than that the Civil War even happened. The Civil War happened 160 years ago, but, and Jesus was 2,000 years ago, but there's more uh, written evidence for his existence than most anything else we have in history. Not to mention a number of other reasons. And if you're curious about uh, the reasons uh, for defense of Scripture, go online and Google a pastor by the name of Vodi Bauckham. B-A-U-C-H-U-M-A-M. Uh, his first name is V-O-D-D-I-E. Vodi Bauckham. And he gives an incredible uh, message on the proof, the, the, the evidence for the reliability of Scripture. Uh, I can't do what he does, 
Uh, he, he, it, is, it is incredible when he does it. Go and do that. Similar proofs for Jesus. And you may have to say, you know, I, I, yeah, there are manuscripts of the New Testament in the thousands. We, we take other histories from this time period and believe what the writers say, and we only have four, five, six manuscripts of it. So, so we see that as authoritative, but you won't see the New Testament. Those are things that you might have to do, but get off those things, especially if your answer should be, I don't know. Because the power is not in the proof that Jesus existed. The power of God unto salvation is in the gospel message. Just as Jesus is the main topic, though, Jesus is going to be the biggest hurdle. You can say God all you want to. Public square, uh, in, 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 in polite settings, it's fine. But you bring Jesus into it, you just made it exclusive. Y'all, there's a reason that our money says in God we trust and not in Jesus we trust. Because you can get 99% of the population to agree with in God we trust. But if you say in Jesus we trust, we got issues. Jesus is exclusive. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. There is an exclusive, exclusivity in Christ that isn't in a generic term, God. I know and you know our God is not generic. But people can throw that word around and mean very little by it. You can say, I believe in God, and what you mean is you believe in an energy force. You can say, I believe in God, but what you mean is Elvis. You can say, I believe in God, and what you mean is a big rock. But you can't say, I believe in Jesus, and mean anything but Jesus Christ of the Bible, who says he's the only way to God. So there's an exclusivity there that you can't get around, and that's going to be a hurdle for most people. Except that we have the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. So there's, you know, don't be afraid of that hurdle either. Fourth thing Peter was, he was bold. Verses 23 and 24, still talking about Jesus. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge. What's that next word? You, he says. I, I envision, if he's a good preacher, he used motions. You used lawless men, people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter was not afraid to be bold in his statement. Not afraid to make the accusations that were necessary. Not afraid to place blame. And here he places blame on both the Jews and the Romans. You Jews gave him up to godless, lawless people, the Romans. So he just implicated both of them in the death of Jesus. Do not be afraid to place blame. See, part of the gospel message is turning from sin. 
salvation from sin. We're being saved from something in salvation. So Peter was not afraid to call people uh, to, to call people to acknowledge their sin, to acknowledge their sin for them, even. You gave Jesus up. And then we have to be uh, willing to state the outlandish. We believe in a miracle-causing uh, 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 God. I believe things like a worldwide flood and a big boat that held two of every kind of animal, seven pairs of some of the animals. I believe that an axe head floated because a prophet prayed that it would. I believe that the sun stood still in the sky for a few hours so, that jo so Joshua could win a battle. I believe that it was Abraham, uh, or rather as Moses stood on the mountain with his hands up, the armies of Israel won, and when his hands fell, the armies of Israel lost. But as long as he held his hands there, we won. I believe in the ten plagues that literally happened. We believe in things like uh, Elijah raising dead people. We believe in Elijah praying on the uh, edge of the mountain for rain and asking his friend, what do you see? Nothing. And then praying some more. What do you see? A wispy little cloud. And him praying some more. What do you see now? Clouds getting darker. And he prays some more. What do you see now? There's a thunderstorm coming, baby. I believe those things. Because we serve a God of miracles. Therefore, don't hesitate to say Jesus was dead, stone dead, bloodlessly dead, all the way dead, not halfway dead, but completely dead. And three days later, he rose again because he wasn't dead anymore. It's outlandish, but it's the gospel. And that's where the power is. Don't hesitate to state the outlandish. And don't be afraid to be called a fool. It's going to happen. But say it anyway. Fifth thing we see Peter do, he put it in the hearer's context. Verse 25 through 31, For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, Peter's talking now, brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about, about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. Look at it as I have it on the screen. Underline. David says of him, the patriarch David, the Messiah. These are all code words, key words for the listeners that day. They would be thinking, oh yeah, I know David. Yeah, we, you're right, he is buried right over here. Hey, and some of the more astute ones in the audience would have go, said, hey, he's quoting one of the Psalms. I know what Psalm that is. That's, uh, uh, and then he'd looked at his wife and said, what Psalm was that? Because that's what we do. Um, but he would have recognized it at least and said, I, I know that passage. Yeah, this is making sense to me, y'all. You get it? Yeah, we get it. Because he put the gospel in their world. He contextualized the gospel. Did he water down the gospel message? Absolutely not. 
but he presented a situation where the people hearing would go, okay, I get that. He is, he's talking to me right now. I understand. Boy, this makes sense when you put it that way. That's what he did. So you may have the opportunity, certainly the need, to put the gospel into their world using terms and analogies that mean something to them. Now, if your situation is not talking to a devout Jewish person, then maybe using the Psalms of David won't, uh, won't help. Maybe you need to go to your personal life. You know, I, I was this, and, and now I'm that. I, I know what it is to be delivered. I, I know what it is to uh, believe you don't need Jesus. I, I know what it is to, to believe, to, to, to know Jesus, know about Jesus, but to run from him for years. See, that's why your personal testimony is so important. Because your personal testimony is a context with which the person you are talking may grasp, may understand a little bit more and go, yeah, all right, now that's making sense to me. It's what Peter did. He put it in the hearer's context. The sixth thing that we did, or that Peter did, and we need to do, is he focused on the hope of Jesus' resurrection. We, we, if we stop, we're in trouble. Peter goes on, God has raised this Jesus, verse 32, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. At this point, he references the 120 with him, or the 11 with him, or maybe even some of the ones in the crowd. We're all witnesses. Maybe he knew there are people in Jerusalem that had seen Jesus, or right there listening to him right now, had seen the disciples with Jesus a few times in those post-resurrection appearances. We're all witnesses of this. Verse 33, Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you have both seen and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, David himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty all the house of Israel, all of you people here to worship at the temple this week, everybody here with certainty know that God has made this Jesus, I think he pointed again, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Oh, Peter ain't backing down, is he? But he's focusing on the hope. He's focusing on the realization because these people... This is the first time they've heard this message. And some of the people are coming in from, from all over. You know, they, they, they're not, they may not even be familiar. They've heard about Jesus probably. They, like, like, yeah, that was, wasn't that something going on right when we got here for Passover? About, I, some guy, yeah, what was, what was all that? And, and they're, wait, me? I did it? I crucified him? Well, we'll get to that in a second. But what Peter knew, and what we need to understand is that the resurrection is the ultimate proof. And it is vital to the message. I can tell you, you're a sinner. And I can tell you, Jesus died for your sins. And I can tell you, all you have to do is believe in Him, and you will be saved from your sins. Repent and believe, and you will be saved. And all that is true. But where's, where's the proof? 
Where's the hope? Where's the promise? Well, that's why Peter, the, the kerygma is the Greek word that we use for the preaching of the gospel in the New Testament, that the gospel message. That's why at its basic, it was Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. Because if we don't preach the resurrection, he's just another peasant that got killed. There's nothing to him. The resurrection doesn't happen. What do we know about him? Nothing. He was a good teacher. Preached, said a lot of nice things. Too bad he got killed, though. Boy, if he had lived a little longer, he might could have gotten a book published. But the resurrection, that's, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where we go, oh, it was true. And that's why Peter gets to the resurrection. The resurrection is not only the, the ultimate proof and the vital message, the resurrection is our ultimate hope to overcome sin, pain, tears, death, all of those things. Without the resurrection, we, we kind of live in limbo. Well, it sure is nice if this whole salvation thing is true, but you know, we're not really going to know till we die. Nope, 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 because Jesus said, I'm back, y'all. It's true. I am the first fruit. Paul says he is the first fruit of resurrection. He's the, the first full bunch of grapes, the first ripe apple, the, the firstborn of death, the first one to say, you know what? It has no power over God. It has no power over me. Death is defeated. You know how I know? Because I'm back. Because I defeated it. And we have that hope. We have that proof. Number seven Peter saw and said, repentance was the goal. Verses 37 through 40, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to the Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Remember, I just told you, people from all over the, well, I told you last week, people from all over the known world at the time, folks who would not have been there and, quote, caused the death of Jesus, yet they are repenting, they are pierced to the heart, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. See, repentance was the goal. Peter knew they needed to repent. There has to be a realization on our part. There has to be a realization on the part of the person to whom we are talking. I'm a sinner, but I need to turn from that. Turn to Jesus. See, we can't just say, I accept Christ, but I'm going to live the same life I've always lived. It's not the way it works. We, we want Jesus as our Savior, but not as our Lord. We like the get-out-of-hell-free card, but we don't, have, don't like having to do things that we either don't want to do, or we don't like having to give up things that we like to do. But that's not an option. It's not an option that we accept Him just as Savior, and we don't do what He says. And what these people particularly needed to repent of was they needed to repent of crucifying Jesus. 
But Michael, there were people from all over the world that didn't crucify him. Yeah, they did. I wasn't there either. But I crucified him. You weren't there either. But you crucified Jesus. We all crucified him. Our sin crucified Jesus. It is because of me that he was put on that cross. It was because of you, every one of you, that Jesus was put on that cross. He was put on that cross for sin, and I and you are sinners. There is no salvation without repentance. We don't just turn to Jesus and not turn from our old way of life. If we have, we have missed the gospel, if that's what we've tried to do. And then Peter, uh, Luke goes on to say of Peter that he shared uh, with many other words he testified and strongly urged them. So we don't even have the whole sermon here. Uh, we don't know what kind of conversations took place after the sermon. You know, uh, uh, individual counseling. Uh, talk to me after the service Peter may have ended with. P pick one of these guys up here that have the disciple t-shirts on and, and talk to them. Uh, when you see them milling about. Y'all, it may take a conversation or two with some people for them to accept Christ. Don't give up on the conversation. Number eight, our last point, trust the Holy Spirit and have a lifestyle of learning. It's implicit in this passage. I, I can't show you a verse where Peter said, I trust the Holy Spirit. Now, later on, I can. And I can go back and tell you where Jesus said, uh, you'll, the Holy Spirit will give you the words when the time comes. And that is what we see with Peter. He was given the words. He, he was, uh, uh, like I said, no, no obvious prep, but he was obviously familiar with Scripture. He knew his Bible. He had read it. He had spent time in it. He had studied it. So when the opportunity came, and, and, and now Jesus says, be ready for action. Peter was ready. He had spent time going to e-groups. Uh, he had gone to Sunday morning and Sunday night church because they were doing Bible study both times. He had spent time reading his Bible at home. He had spent time with Jesus over and over and over, both pre-resurrection and post-resurrection and post-ascension. He had spent time with Jesus. He had spent time in prayer. He was ready because he had prepared himself. Church, are you preparing yourself? Are you ready? You are, if you're saved. But are you preparing yourself? Are you making yourself more ready? Are you spending time in his word? I don't know if y'all did this. I never did. But when I was in school, I mean, when other people were in school, sometimes they would not study for a test. God, if you'll just give me the answers this time, I'll study next time, I promise. I, I never, never made that prayer. Um, well, I might have one time, and I, it didn't work, so I probably didn't do it after that. But uh, that's not how we approach preparation. Well, I don't have to read the Bible. I don't have to study anything. I don't have to get ready. Just, you know, when the time comes, God will give me the words. I'll be ready. Yeah, he'll tell me. No, no. Um, let me ask you if, if that would have worked 
when you, assuming you asked your, your wife to marry you and, and you put some thought into the, the proposal, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming some romantic tendency somewhere on the part of some of the men in here at least. Um, is that how you prepared to ask her? Well, when the day comes, I'll ask her, and yeah, we're sitting somewhere, and finally, you want to marry me? Funny, haha. But that's the way we expect things to work when we talk about Jesus. Well, when I get the chance, I'll just tell them about Jesus. I don't need to, you know, no. They were, they were prepared. They were filled. And then we see Peter with a, a methodical explanation of the gospel. Are you ready for that? may not be that way for you every time, but I think you can take some of these bullet points from Peter and say, that, yeah, I need, I need to work on that. Boy, I need to be ready for that one. I don't know if I can handle that one. This is some time I need to spend. My question, though, is the same, or my statement, I guess, is the same as Peter's last statement. Repent and be baptized. Because I, I go back to the beginning question, or again, statement. If you're a believer, you should be able to tell somebody about how you became a believer. But if you can't explain to someone why you're a believer, how you came to Jesus, then I think you need to repent and be baptized. You need to come to Jesus. You should be able to explain that. So I'll explain it to you and to someone else in here who, you know, has never accepted Christ, but, you know, didn't even think about needing to, but now you're going, wait, what is that about? To repent and be baptized, you need to understand that you're a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You are a sinner, and the wages of those sins, that sin is death. But God grants a gift in Jesus Christ. Eternal life provided for you through him. And, and he did that while you were still a sinner. So now he asks you to repent of that, to turn from that life and turn to him and call on Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you believe in your heart, uh, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the same message that Peter just preached. Same message exactly. Jesus died for your sins. You are a sinner. Repent of those sins. Jesus rose from the grave to prove to you his power over sin and death. Now, believe and trust him. Will you do that this morning? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you, again, over and over in Scripture, provide the, the example, provide the means, provide the message. And again today, you have provided the message. You have given us, uh, as believers, a blueprint, a, a, a source of bullet points, an opportunity to, to be ready for action. But God, even in speaking to us as believers this morning, you have spoken to unbelievers as well and said, this is the gospel. This is how you believe. This is how you can have salvation. So I pray this morning that we as believers will prepare, continue to prepare, 
daily prepare. But God, this morning that you would call unbelievers to you. Go, that they may go from death to life today. That they may go from hell-bound sinner without forgiveness to heaven-bound sinner with forgiveness. Lord, may you work in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So what's your decision? Will you follow Christ? Will you repent of your sins and trust him for salvation? Maybe you need to be baptized. This, uh, not this morning. Water's not in there. But we can do that next week or the week after. Maybe you need to respond in some other way. Maybe you have been lax in your preparation. And you need to get back with God and say, you know what, I want to be ready for action when the time comes. Whatever your decision is, I'd love to pray with you. The uh, prayer rails are up here if you'd like to bring that to God this morning. Maybe you just need to pray right there. But you stand, you sing with us, and while we do it, let's do business with God today.